and the damage of the fire. We called yesterday. One of my one of my wife's cousins lives at Ashland, Oregon, uh, where uh, said the said uh, and she was with her daughter in California. Said the fire came within about a mile of her house there in uh, in Ashland, and uh, so even if your house is spared and you're there. Uh, all the smoke will cause so many health problems for people that uh, it'll just be terrible. So be in prayer for those folks if you can. Last Sunday, I thought uh, as we were looking at getting ready for this morning, uh, I, I thought of, I felt like I left last Sunday. I just had to stop. <laughs> and so I want to go back uh, and look at some things that we were talking about last Sunday and probably uh, rehash a little bit of that. Uh, but also then then dive off into some, some things in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. If you're remembering uh, the scripture that I used to start with last Sunday, I turned to the third chapter of the book of Colossians and used this portion of scripture. If ye, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We think about that scripture, first of all, if ye be risen with Christ, if you were, if you were uh, in Christ Jesus when he died, and we will maybe get to some portions of scripture that look at that this morning, but if you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and you were in Christ... When he died upon the cross, then you were also then you're also risen with Christ, uh, and that will become a reality in your life at some point in time when the Holy Spirit borns you again of His Spirit, and you're made aware of the fact that this world is not your home, and that you are that you're a broken sinner in need of a Savior, and that you have been saved by the death, burial, and resurrection, shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so, if you be risen with Christ. Don't get so worldly minded. I mean, that's that's the whole point. I was thinking this morning, looking at some things uh, related to discipleship, you know, and and the and the Bible actually says, except a man, and it uses the word hate. We'll try to explain that, but except a man hate father, mother, brother, sister, so forth, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, "Cannot." Now. You got to keep. The, I think you got to keep things in context. That's the whole. The, to me, one of the fun things about studying Scripture and reading God's Word is to is to look and to read and to understand the big picture of things that are laid out in God's Word a lot of times, and realize wh- what He's saying is get your priorities right. <laughs> uh, don't don't put father, mother, brother, and sister. You know what we were talking about this morning about worship. Remember to keep Christ and God in the right place of worship. And, and while we love our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and so forth, you know, they're not to be exalted to a point above our Heavenly Father and above Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, as we think about, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. I, one thing I have learned over the years is... Uh, you're, you know, if you're sitting there, and any of us are sitting here in life, and we're and we're just sitting around waiting, saying, "I'm waiting for God to come pour His blessings out on me." Well, you know what? You need to be seeking those things which are above. If we're not, if we're not moving in that direction and seeking out godly, godly blessings to try to live a, a life of of love and prayer and discipleship in in our lives. We, we need not think God's just going to uh, suddenly just pour out all the blessings on us down here. So he says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. And I don't think that's meaning, uh, you know, you try to try to rightly divide and explain the word of God. Uh, I heard people say that, you know, if, 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 uh, if we were focused totally and sit around all day and all we thought about was the resurrection and being uh, gathered around God's throne, uh, we'd be very heavenly minded, but of no earthly good. And so uh, uh, when he says, set your affections, it, it's talking about your heart. Uh, let let the things of God and the things that, that are that are revealed to us from God in His Word, let that be where your affections are. And so set your affections on things above, not on things the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The real life that you have, this old this old body of ours, it's it's gone. <laughs> it's uh, it's decaying away. Uh, uh, you know, I, I get to take, I get to view that. Uh, you know, it's fun. You know, it, it, you know, 
young folks, y'all will find this out one of these days. Uh, there's somehow there just reaches this age. You say, yeah, I know, Brother Charles. I'm turning gray. No, I'm not talking about turning gray. <laughs> I'm talking where everything begins to uh, to uh, sag and move and wrinkle and do, you know, and all stuff. And it's like it happens, seem like overnight, you just reach this magical age, different for different people. Uh, but it just kind of begins to happen, right? And you begin to realize these old bodies are dead. <laughs> You're dead. But, you li- but your life, your real life is hid with Christ in God. So that's where we, what we talked about last Sunday, that portion of Scripture. And we did that by going over and, and uh, kind of going through some things in the book of Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, uh, and talking about part of the point of the letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Rome was that these Gentiles and Jews that were there together, uh, this mixed congregation, if you will. Uh, boy, what a message for people today, right? Uh, a mixed congregation. I sure wish we had uh, a mixed congregation together here this morning because it would be wonderful to preach that whether you're black or whether you're white, uh, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, what we all need is a Savior. <laughs> we need, uh, uh, we're all sinners and uh, uh, that uh, we've all been placed under the curse of our father Adam uh, and that we've all been condemned to die uh, by, by his transgression of the law there uh, in the uh, in the garden, uh, and as we as we will try to show even further today by going into that fifth chapter, which we didn't, I don't think, quite got to in depth last Sunday. Uh, uh, we will we will try to show that as he transgressed the law, the Bible says that this passed on to all of us. I think I kind of went over a little bit of that last Sunday, but very, at a at a certain level, I want to look back at that again today, and then we'll journey on over into that sixth chapter. I'll be honest with you, one of the things I would love to get to in this particularly is over into the 8th chapter. I don't have any illusions that we'll quite get there. But I want to read, in light of the fact that we went back and looked at Colossians chapter 3, I want to go over and read a portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 this morning and then let y'all begin to frame, if you can, if you will, the things that Paul is writing here of the, to these Jews and Gentiles, he's writing to, to them here at Rome, telling the Jews that even though you have the law, you're sinners. Uh, and you've sinned with the knowledge of the law, uh, and, and yet and these, these Gentiles have sinned without the law, yet when they do the things that are described, the righteousness which is described in the law, it's not because they had the written commandments and word of God. It was because of the law that God wrote on their hearts in the new birth. And so he begins to bring this out to them. And he says, when they do the things, the righteousness of the law, not having the law, uh, it just shows the work of God in their lives. And, uh, and it should condemn the Jews who were saying, look at us, we have the law. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you got the law, but you don't do the law. And he says you ought to be doing these things instead of just bragging about what you have and what God has blessed you with, but you ought to actually be doing it and living it in your life. And so as he begins to write these things here in the, in the book of Romans, then he gets over and says, well, then in, in chapter 3, I think it is, he makes the point, he says, well, then if, if the Gentiles are blessed of God and they, they have, they're showing the circumcision that they have in their hearts, rather than the circumcision of the flesh, and he says it shows the work of God in their hearts by the things that they do, then what advantage does the, did the Jews have? He says, oh, much in every way, uh, because they had the oracles of God, the word of God, they had the blessings of God, they knew God, they knew what God, uh, they knew the one true and living God, they had seen him, they had seen his works, they had seen him feed them in the, with manna, they had seen him deliver them out of Egypt, they had seen all of these things that God had done for them, uh, so they were blessed, but they, you know, you know what, it's kind of like, it's kind of like us church folks sometimes, you know you're blessed, but sometimes we don't really realize how blessed we are, that God has blessed us. And so we begin to take it for granted and we begin to kind of abuse it and, uh, and, not, to, and not really frame it up like we should in our lives. And say, you know what, God is so, if I, uh, I have health, I have an education, I have a job, I have a house, I have, a, I have food on my table. I am so blessed. And not only that, I know where my blessings come from. The Gentiles had some of these, maybe some of these same blessings, but didn't know, didn't know the source of their blessings. He said the Jews were blessed because they knew the source. 
And, uh, and, uh, so the, and so then he goes on. We talked about this last Sunday. He begins to kind of uh, hone in on the fact that he says, yeah, but, but Abraham, our father. And so then he goes and says, yeah, let's talk about Abraham, your father, for a minute. Abraham was blessed of God before he was ever circumcised. And Abraham had faith in God and followed after God before he ever did any of the commandments of those things that you frame up as the law today. Abraham, so Abraham being a Gentile was blessed of God. And so it's like, oh my goodness, you're telling me that that, that uh, Abraham was just like all these other people out here that we condemn? Yes, that's what I'm telling you, is that Abraham was a Gentile. He was blessed of God. He had faith in God. He followed him from Ur, the Chaldees, to the land that God would show him. And because of Abraham's faithfulness, God then turns around and tells Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And not only that, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And, and he tells us here at the end of Romans chapter 4 that, uh, uh, that Abraham didn't stagger. Uh, I'll go back up to verse 20 of Romans 4. He sta- that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. And we talked about this last Sunday, that what an amazing thing it is to think about Abraham was 100 years old. Uh, he was 99 at the time that God visited him the last time to tell him you're going a year from now, you and Sarah are going to have a child. But he's 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. She's past the flower of her womanhood. Uh, and, and yet the, Abraham says, God, you say it, I believe it. And, you know, if you, if you think about it, there's just so many things that are cooked into all of this that, God, that Abraham just believed God. It says, he says, therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And then he says this verse, which I'll have to say for years and years and years, this verse just kind of blew by me. Verse 23 of of Romans 4. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. God blessed Abraham because of his belief. Because of his faith and because of his demonstration, God blessed him with a child, okay? Because of Abraham's faithfulness. And then he says, he didn't write this that Abraham was blessed just so you would know that Abraham was blessed. He wrote it for your sake also, huh? For, uh, for, uh, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So all of that is, I read those verses just to remind us and probably some things I said last Sunday is the fact that Abraham was blessed because of his belief and this was recorded so that you and I would know that there's a, there's a blessing and an a, uh, imputation of the righteousness of God upon your life because of your belief. Now, I'm not talking about that this, this comes to uh, make you born again. We're not, this is after all this. I'm just telling you, God blessed Abraham because Abraham was faithful and followed after him, and it was recorded that God blessed him because it could be for our sakes too. So that we would know that in following after and being faithful to God and serving him, there's also this same imputation that God will give you and I. Uh, so that's kind of like there's this big flag out there that says, listen, serve God, love him, follow after him. It, it was imputed to righteousness for Abraham, and Abraham was blessed, and you will be blessed. And so he then goes on and says, starting chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So uh, he's going to get into this here in Romans chapter 5 and tell us that we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and we're also just, and and that, that justification, which means, okay, you're a sinner, you're guilty, but God declares you just. How? Because the penalty for your sin was paid by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, okay? And that declared you just. It declared that you had been justified before God and wrapped up in that justification of of the sin debt that was paid. Uh, Let's put it like this. In in the account that you and I had, you and I had a a debt 
in, in heaven that couldn't be paid. That debt was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. That, that debt for you and I was, was shown to you and I as grace. So, so in, in, God's, in, 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 in heaven where the debt was owed, the blood of Jesus Christ paid it. But in our lives, it came to us by ju justification, by grace in our lives, okay? Now then, Abraham had faith. And he says this faith uh, uh, that Abraham had, and, and you, I can look at this verse in a couple of different ways, but I guess over time I've, I've looked at it this way, is the fact that, you know what? Abraham had faith, and that faith gave him in, in his belief and following after God made a peace with God, in a sense, between him and Abraham. And uh, I can also turn around and look at this same verse of Scripture and say, yeah, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ made us peace, gave us peace with God too. So he says, we're, we're justified by faith. We, therefore, being justified by faith, I think when you tie this back to, to chapter 4, it's talking about Abraham's faith, okay? So therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our, but that peace is through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, talking about uh, Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand in hope of the glory of God. So you and I have this great treasure house. I think about when uh, when Jesus came and uh, and uh, it's uh, kind of talked about there in the first chapter of the book of John uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and and uh, you know John John the Baptist saw saw Jesus Christ coming, and he says. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And then it goes on a little bit further. It talks about Jesus Christ being full of grace and truth. And so we, we find here uh, that he talks about we have access to this grace through him. Uh, this one that died, this one that saved, for, saved us, this one that, uh, uh, that we have uh, peace with. Uh, in our in our lives here daily, uh, that this grace that He gives to us, we have access by faith into this grace, and that's wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, knowing what He's done for us, okay, we have access to this grace, and this grace gives us peace, and it gives us hope and access, and we can see to the glory of God right here in this world that we live in. And then he goes on and makes this comment as he goes on through these verses. And not only so, but we glory, so we glory in the grace of God, we glory in the peace that we have with God, but then Paul makes this interesting statement, uh, which, which again, over time I've come to enjoy and see the de depth a little bit more of what he's talking about, I think. He says, but we also glory... We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. I have uh, <laughs> I have made this comment over the years. I'll go back and recant my error, okay, of of, of saying such things as this uh, in times past, you know, and and probably heard probably heard somebody say it somewhere sometime. And it sounded like oh, well, that sounds like a neat idea. But let's go back and put it into practice of what the scripture says. Okay, uh, so I might have made some comment like this. Well, everybody's always saying, I need more patience. Uh, uh, well, if you pray for patience, you're going to get tribulation. Uh, well, that may be true, okay? But he says this, we glory in tribulation. Why? Because tribulation works something in your life. It forces you to get down on your knees and then wait patiently for God to deliver you. And so tribulation, and, and I think the, the, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we go back and look at Abraham again. Abraham, as we mentioned last Sunday, we'll mention multitudes of times because, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, this thing that all Scripture seems to go back to some certain uh, significant events. You know, it goes back to Abraham uh, coming out of Ur of Chaldees. Uh, and it goes back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt uh, after being down there in slavery for 400. And these stories are repeated over and over again throughout Scripture. Uh, so we go back and we, we go back to Abraham. Abraham was told to get up and leave this land of idols of in Ur of Chaldees, modern day Iraq, uh, if you will. And uh, told to go to land that God would show him and uh, God says and I will give you a child uh, and then Abraham waited 25 years uh, talking about patience now dear, now, now, think about this I, I may have mentioned this last Sunday if I did I'll, I'll repeat it again uh, but, uh, but he may uh, you think about what all happened to Abraham during the meantime 
Abraham uh, uh, was down there uh, among the uh, Philistines. Uh, uh, and well, first of all, him and him and Sarah go down to Egypt. Uh, uh, there, Sarah uh, gets in with the Pharaoh, you know, or, or Pharaoh tries to take her to make her his wife. And that was a tribulation time period. And God appeared to Pharaoh in the dream and says, hey, don't touch that woman. It's Abraham's wife you're about to mess with. And he's like, oh, don't want to do that. Uh, and so uh, then another, the same thing happens, I believe, with the Philistine king uh, and so forth. It was looking upon Sarah and uh, they had once again, Abraham had told them that she was his sister uh, instead of saying she's my wife. Uh, well, uh, technically, if you want to get technicality wise, uh, she was his sister. She was his half sister, uh, uh, but uh, uh, but that wasn't the point. That was his wife, and so they go down there parading the uh, the uh, sister part of it. Gets themselves in trouble, tribulation, all of this time. Well, then they then they decide. Well, we've been waiting to have this child. I need to have an heir. Uh, so Sarah decides to give Abraham her handmaid. Uh, <coughs> so that she can have a child for Abraham. And that maybe that's how God was going to work it out. We'll just help God out in this situation. And then a little Ishmael comes along, and Ishmael becomes a pain to not only uh, Isaac, uh, but Ishmael's uh, lineage becomes a, a, a thorn in the flesh to the children of Israel over the years. Uh, even to the present day, uh, the the Arabs and the those descendants of uh, of Ishmael are continuing to cause trouble to, for the uh, Jewish people right up to this very present time. So anyway, uh, so uh, tribulation uh, in Abraham's life, but you know what? Tribulation in him worked patience, and we just read up there uh, in that fourth chapter. Uh, uh, it says. Abraham at the age of 99 staggered not at the promise of God. When he promised once again, a year from now, you'll have a child, Abraham believed God. And so, uh, so not only do we glory in the grace that we have and that we stand in, but we need to learn, I think even more so in our lives, learn to glory in the tribulations because God's trying to work something in our lives. So we glory, so not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work in patience. Patience experience. Now, how does, how does this work? I'm going to give you this example. So, so Abraham waited patiently for, that, for God to bless them 25 years before he had this child, right? It was a miracle child, and they knew it was a miracle child because Sarah by herself would not have been able to have a child except God overshadowed her and caused her to be able to have a child by, by Abraham, okay? Now, they have this little child. What a blessing. Uh, they get to have this child that God has blessed them with. And then one day, God visits Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, the one I promised you, I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. The Bible records that Abraham rose early the next morning with the wood and the fire and with Abraham and off they went, okay? Uh, now, we can, we can uh, speculate. Uh, used to, I'd hear people say, well, Abraham was about 13 at the time. You know, Abraham, uh, I mean, Isaac was about 13. Well, uh, Isaac toted the wood up the mountain. Now, and I got a feeling he's a little bit older uh, uh, than what people have thought about over the years. In fact, there's some evidence and some people uh, uh, that go back and look at this and say, Abraham would, I mean, Isaac would have been about 30 33 years old, uh, maybe about the same age as Jesus Christ was on the cross, okay? So, uh, but he says, go and take your son, your only begotten son, go to Mount Moriah and offer him there for us. You say, what's this got to do? Tribulations work its patience. Patience experience. God, one thing, Abraham, you know, I believe this in my heart of studying the scriptures over the years. You know, think about what Abraham did. There, there's a lot of things working, going on in Abraham's mind. One thing, God promised him a child, and even though it was 25 years and he was 100 years old, God fulfilled his promise. Also, when God gave him that child, or before he gave him that child, he told Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, 
God had been true in giving him a land. God had been true in giving him a son. God had been true in blessing him and watching over him and delivering him out of idols. Abraham believed that God would, would fulfill his promise that in his child all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Isaac was not yet married and had not yet had a child uh, himself uh, to, to have this great lineage that God had told him Isaac was going to have. And so Abraham loaded up, went, er, rose up early in the morning and went because his experience with God was that God was true. And he didn't know how uh, God was going to uh, spare his son, but he knew God was either going to spare his son or he was going to raise him back up from the dead. And he knew he could raise him up from the dead because he'd already shown he could take a dead uh, a womb of a lady that was uh, 90 years old and cause her to have a child. And Abraham believed all of this. Uh, and so a tribulation had worked patience. And patience had worked experience. And his experience had taught him God is true. Let God be true, the Bible says, and every man a liar. So uh, this experience also, it says, so tribulations work with patience, patience experience, and experience hope. I'll tell you, has, has your experience with God given you hope? That's a good question. <laughs> say, well, I don't know, Brother Charles. Sometimes I feel pretty... Well, I want to tell you, keep looking what God is working and doing in your life and it'll tell you, it'll give you hope for a better day. I tell you, I've got hope that uh, uh, the, world, the world may be on fire on the West Coast somewhere or it may be in other places. There may be pandemics or plagues or, or old age or whatever it is. There's, there's a hope that this world is not my home. That's the, that's the great hope that the experience and the patience that I've had through the years and through the years, through the years has taught me, you know what? I, I'm here. I, the other thing that I think it te teaches you, and I know I'm looking at a group of folks that some of the folks here this morning that are right, right with me on this. You know, one thing we've learned: uh, sixty-something years passes by really quick. So, for you young folks, I want to tell you: make use of the time you have now in serving God and doing all you can to to serve him because you'll turn around one of these days and I I, I with many of you I know I won't be here probably unless God blesses me with another 30 years which probably is on, really on the stretchy scheme of some things but probably in uh, by nature uh, but uh, I probably won't be here when some of y'all reach uh, reach that age of 60. So, uh, But when you do, I want you to mark down, if God has not already returned by that time and taken us all on to be in glory, I want y'all to remember that uh, Brother Charles said, it'll get here quicker than you think. Uh, you'll be 18 one day, uh, and the next thing you know, you're turning 30, and the next thing you know, it's 40, and the next thing you know, it's 60, and you wonder where all the time went. Uh, it was gobbled up with jobs and ball games and uh, church time and other stuff that you, that you experienced. But Abraham learned that tribulations work with patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, uh, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So God's hope, God's love is shed abroad in our hearts uh, through, the, through the new birth and through our experience with Him uh, and, and as, we, as we walk, and it's given to us by the Holy Ghost. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When we had no ability of our own, when we had no ability to come to God, when we had no ability to seek after God, Christ died for us anyway. Christ died for the ungodly. <clears throat> for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> Christ died for us before we ever, before we, as we're sitting here this morning, before we were ever born. Uh, yet you know what? You, Christ knew before you were ever born, you were a sinner <laughs> uh, because he knew what nature you were going to inherit. Uh, and he says, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
So the wrath that's coming when Christ comes back and when uh, we read there in 2 Thessalonians uh, that he's going to come back, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and he's going to take vengeance uh, in burning fire on them that know not the Lord. We're going to be saved from that wrath through him. And so he says, for when we were enemies, we were... For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death. Now I want you to, uh, Paul does this a lot in his writings. He compares and contrasts, okay? And so he makes the comment, he's, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So the reconciliation, the pain of the debt took place by his blood, right? And he says, if when you were enemies, when you were not, not his friends, when you were not his devoted followers, but yet you were the enemies of Christ, if Christ died for you and if he reconciled you to God by the, by the death of his son, much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, So he makes this contrast, this beautiful, if God wiped away your debt by the death of his son, what do you think his life, his resurrection is going to be for you? Think about what that, how, how glorious and what that blessing is going to be in your life and what that does for you. Well, it's one thing to have your, your debt, your sin debt wiped away. But because he was raised from the dead, you're also going to be raised from the dead. And I'm not talking right now about that death, that resurrection of the body that's going to take place out here in the future. You were raised from your death in sins, uh, uh, death in sins to a life in Christ through the new birth. That's a resurrection that took place in your life, and that's because of His life. You have that life now in you. You're dead, but your life is hid with Christ in God. So he says, uh, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Christ atoned for our sins. He's, we, he, he carries back. I know this uh, sometimes to us doesn't mean that much, but if we go back, you know, by the way, if you hadn't, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about this, I think, what's today? What's today the 14th? 13th, 13th, that's right. Friday was 11th, two days, 13th. So uh, uh, today's the 13th. The 19th of September will be the beginning of the, uh, the Jewish New Year this year, so uh, that is the uh, that is the Day of Trumpets, right? So this Thursday will be the Feast of Trumpets. Fourteen days later, I think I'm right on this, or fifteen days later, the Day of Atonement comes. Okay, and so uh, uh, we, as we think about those things, as he used this word atonement, it would have rung out, especially to the Jewish members of the congregation, that not only are we saved by his life. Not only are we reconciled to him by his death and saved by his life, but we also, through Christ Jesus, we have received the atonement, that atoning sacrifice that was made once a year for the, for the sins of the people. He says, we've also received that through Jesus Christ. And he says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, I've said this uh, in Pat, but I want you to, as you're reading, I hope you're reading along with me and following along. If not, go back and look at this. But, but he begins to make a point here, and he offsets the following verses by parentheses, which means he's giving in this parentheses, he's giving some explanation of what he said just prior to that, okay? And as he, as he does that, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, you and I, are, and you've heard me say this in times gone by, uh, sometimes we learn by reputation, or repetition, <laughs> repetition, uh, by repeating the thing, same things over and over again. So I may repeat some things you've heard me say before, but in thinking about this, uh, I'm a sinner because my father was a sinner, and he was a sinner because his father was a sinner. And, I, and this lineage goes all the way back to Noah and to Adam, uh, all the way back to our very forefathers who transgressed the law of God. Uh, and it says, and he ma it makes this, and we've mentioned this again in times prior, uh, that the, the man was the one that was held accountable. So it wasn't the woman who took of the fruit first because... She was the responsibility. The man, uh, the Bible says she was deceived. 
Uh, but Adam transgressed the law of God. In other words, he knew what he was doing and did it anyway, right? And so uh, he says, as by, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world? And we were talking about comparing and contrasting. This is going to compare and contrast. These, these following verses are going to be comparison. It's going to compare what, what we are in Adam to what we are in Christ. And so he begins this comparison that's taking place here. Uh, he started that with, uh, if we were reconciled by his death, we're going to have much more. We're going to be saved by his life. Okay? And he, then he begins with this, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, colon, parentheses. <laughs> he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. In that world, it, it wasn't laid to their record. It wasn't laid to their account. Uh, maybe it wasn't charged to them naturally, if you will, uh, because they didn't, they didn't have a law that said, you know, the only law they'd been given, let's think about this for just a moment. Uh, the Bible kind of records there's about 2,000 years uh, between the time of, of Adam and the time of Noah. Uh, then we go on the other side of the flood, and there's at least, uh, I don't know, about five, six hundred years, uh, something like that, maybe more than that, uh, to the time we get down to uh, Moses and the children of Israel coming out of, uh, that's about right, about six hundred years to the time they're coming out of, uh, of Egypt and so forth. So you've got 2,600 years from the time of the garden down to the time of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. And so... Up until that time, there had been nothing that the children of God had been given that says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no idols before him. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. They had none of these things. So there was no law for 2,600 years. That's kind of, and he makes the point, that's kind of important as we read this because it shows just how effective, if you will, the sin of Adam was to you and me, okay? So he goes on and makes this comment. For until the law, sin was in, sin was in the world, but, the, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, there's, there's a lot packed into that verse. Uh, but first of all, he tells us, you and I and, and the people that followed after Adam, they weren't in the garden. They had been kicked, uh, Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden. There was a flaming, uh, uh, there was a cherubim and a flaming sword put out at the, the entrance to the garden so they couldn't enter back in. So there was no way that anyone after Adam and Eve could take and eat of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So none of his descendants could actually transgress the exact same law that Adam transgressed. Wasn't possible. They couldn't get back in there. There was no way. But you know what? Even though they didn't, uh, they didn't transgress that law, they all still died. Uh, they still experienced the, the curse that God had told them, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. There's a lot in that word die there where the, they not only were separated from the fellowship that they had with God before that, but they began to physically die as well, okay? And so all of their posterity died. But he goes, it goes on here at the end of this verse and says, but Adam was also a figure or a like or a type of the one that was to come, talking about Jesus Christ. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath, hath abounded unto many. So, uh, I begin this kind of conversation. We'll see the fulfillment of this as we get down out of the parenthetical part of this portion of Scripture. Uh, but I've, I, I asked, I've probably asked this here. I'll ask it again. But I'll ask you this morning. What did you have to personally do to become a sinner? Nothing. All you had to do was be born into the world and start living the life, the life that you had uh, to begin to just uh, 
uh, we, we joke about it. I used to kind of joke around, you know, you've got the little bitty babies, you know, and, you know, you can say, well, they're lying to you. You know, they'll, they'll cry like they're, uh, like they're hungry, you know, or they'll cry like they're sleepy and they'll, cr and, well, what they really want you just to pick them up and hold them, uh, you know, or, or they'll begin to, you know, and the kids get a little bit older and my children are experiencing some of this now with their children, you know, growing up, uh, uh, hey, uh, I noticed something's uh, broke over here. Who broke that? <laughs> what us? I don't. I don't know how it happened. Uh, they're just born with that nature uh, that begins to like. They'll try. They'll lie, try to lie about it, to, and nobody. Nobody had to teach them to do that. Isn't that amazing? They just. It just all comes out of the natural man that we are. As descendants of Adam, okay, and so so he goes on and, and makes this comment. He says, uh, "Not as the offense, but to all, so also is the free gift. For through the offense of one, many be dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is one band, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." So he gets to this point, and we'll see this down here that if you didn't have to do anything to become a sinner. And Adam is a type of Christ, then you also didn't have to do anything to become the beneficiary of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. All you had to do was be his child and in him. And we'll see that as we go down through here. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses under justification. So while this one transgression led to many being sinners, the, the contrawise is true. Many sinners became blessed in one man, Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the, uh, the wording of all this is almost too fantastic to, to even think about. While one sin led to many being sinners and being condemned, one man came and bless those same, uh, well, I shouldn't say the same many, but many also to, to be beneficiaries of his grace. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. He's making it plain. There's one reason you're a sinner. Adam. There's one reason. Now, I understand we all practice sin, and we're just because he's the blame for it, in a, in a sense, doesn't mean we're not all sinners by practice ourselves, okay? Uh, but he makes this point here by one man's offense, death reigned. Even by the, over those that didn't sin, the same sin that Adam sinned, they still died because that penalty was put upon them. And he goes on and says, Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So by, by the one, one death, burial, and resurrection in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to now reign with Him. Now then listen to these coming verses. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. Now, I usually pause to make this comment because universalists will hear, will hear take this verse and say, okay, there's the word all. All is all. No, all is not always all. Uh, you know, and I, and I can give probably some silly examples that I've used over the years, you know, but, uh, but it actually does work. Uh, you know, if you ever watch any Western movies uh, back during the day, or maybe you, maybe you go get an get a, uh, uh, airplane, ride an airplane uh, somewhere sometime today, uh, at some point they'll open the gate and say, you know, everybody bored. <laughs> Well, they don't mean everybody in the airport. They don't even mean everybody in Birmingham or everybody in Atlanta. They mean the ones that's got the ticket for that flight, okay? And so in the old days, the train conductor would come out and say, All aboard! Well, he didn't mean everybody in town. He didn't mean everybody in the state, everybody in the nation. What he meant was everybody that had a ticket to get on board. So all has a particular designation to it at times, okay? Uh, and so when he says here, uh, so how do you separate these two alls? That's how we do it. Uh, he says, uh, <clears throat> therefore is by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So the all men that were in Adam when he transgressed became sinners and condemned to death. 
Okay? You know what? I got news for you. That's all of us sitting here. Uh, and and not and maybe to use terminology, we've got a pretty adult congregation here today. Uh, but in in a sense, we were all in the loins of Adam at the time that he transgressed the law, and we became sinners because we're his descendants. Okay, that's that's an easy way of trying to say it to uh, say it that way. And he goes on and says, compare and contrast again. Okay. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. This all here is all those that were in Christ. How were you in Christ? You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world by the choice of the Father uh, to decide who He was going to adopt, who He was going to elect, who He was going to make His sheep. And the Bible records for us just for good record here this morning uh, as I'm preaching out to many people out there maybe uh, uh, that uh, the Bible records for us when we get over into Revelation chapter uh, 4, chapter 5 he says that John was there on the Isle of Patmos and God was showing him all types of glorious things and showing him the throne room of heaven. And he says that there was a great innumerable host in heaven that no man could number. That's how great the host is going to be in heaven one of these days. So when I say Christ, uh, that, there, that there was a chosen people in Christ, I'm not talking about a few folks. And I'm not talking about a, a few folks that believe or a few folks that were baptized or a few folks uh, uh, that can. I'm talking about all that were chosen in Christ, whoever they are, wherever they were, Jews and Gentiles, black, white, yellow, green, purple, whatever, all in Christ because they needed a Savior and that was the only one that could do the job. Okay, therefore is by one offense, uh, by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. Now listen to verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the immediate obedience of one shall many be made righteous. All right. And the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the language there in 18 and 19, even so are in like manner. Just as you were made sinners by, by the, uh, the effects of Adam, the same, the same work is going to take place in your life to bring you life by Jesus Christ our Lord if you were in Christ Jesus, okay? It's just that sure. There's not a single person that can, that's, uh, that's of the lineage of Adam say, oh, I figured out how to dodge that sin issue. Oh, really? Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me how you figured out how to do that. Well, uh, if you can tell me how you did that, I can tell you how you can also dodge if you were in Christ Jesus being righteous by him, okay? It can't happen. It can't happen. If you were chosen in Christ, you're going to be righteous and you're going to be holy one of these days and you're going to be resurrected. You're going to be born again just as sure as you're a sinner by the work of Adam in the garden. You're going to be a saint by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's, I mean, that, that wording there in Romans chapter 5 is so beautiful uh, to think about what he, what he, the story he lays out for us. And he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law was given to them so that they would know they're sinners and so that they would understand you've broken this, you need a Savior. Then he says, but where sin abounded, oh boy, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as, the, that as sin reigned unto death, even so grace, even so might grace reign through, the right, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin, is, sin has reigned in our lives in many ways, okay? I mean, I don't have to tell y'all how sin has reigned in your lives and you don't have to tell me how sin has reigned in my life at many times, but I'll tell you what, grace is going to also reign uh, in our lives through Jesus unto eternal life by, by Jesus Christ our Lord. How's, how's grace going to reign? By Jesus. It all gets back to Jesus. <laughs> it, Jesus is going, has saved us. He's died for us. He's redeemed us by his blood. He's atoned for us. And one of these days you're going to reign in heaven uh, not in the play, his place on the throne, but as, as brothers of the king. <laughs> Uh, you're going to reign, my friends, by the grace that we have through Christ Jesus. So 
uh, I, I could I was really wanting to go on into six, but I think I think it's wise for me to stop. There's kind of a good break break point here as we get into this. But he but he goes on and tells us, and I will give you this much preview, and I'll stop. He says, "What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid." Don't ever use the fact that God has saved you by his grace and that it's the, the merciful, gracious gift of God to go out and commit sin. Uh, Paul was working against that. There were those, we talked about this last Sunday, I think, there were those that were accusing Paul of going out and preaching that, uh, oh, well, you know, hey, uh, if since, uh, since grace is more abundant and overrides sin, well, then we just ought to go sin more so grace can really be glorified and reign. No, Paul says, no, 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 no. No, you're, you're dishonoring the one that died for you when you go, when you go out and try to, to try to live in that kind of life. So he says, what shall we say then? Because we're saved by grace, should, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Christ is, uh, and he gets on into this. This is where we go in, in 6, 7, and 8. He talks about how death, we've, we've actually been crucified. We've been baptized and so forth uh, into his death. And so uh, since, since we're dead to sin, uh, we shouldn't live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many as us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. God has given you a new, a new life. Walk in the newness of that life and in the joy of that life and the blessings of that life. Don't let sin... He goes on... We get, we get into seven. Well, I'm, I'm wanting to go there real bad, aren't I? Uh, he gets on into seven. He talks about sin, just the continuing in sin. Paul, Paul had this battle within himself. He knew that, he says, I see a law within my body. He says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. You, you know, you think about this, uh, and I'll leave this comparison. If y'all want to read ahead in six and seven in coming weeks, okay? One day, Sir Isaac Newton was out in a field, and he saw an apple drop from a tree. And he says, you know, I see a law. When something, when something is let loose, whether it's from my hand or a tree or from the, it always falls down. And, it's, and from that, he determined that there, and he began to calculate and do, you know, he was a great, brilliant man, and he comes up with the law of gravity, and he calculated that things fall at a certain rate, a certain speed, and so he, uh, gravity, the law of gravity was discovered because he saw one day that when things are let loose, they fall. <laughs> Paul saw a law too. He said, when I would do good, he said, I see a law in my members that when I would do good, evil is always present with me. I'll tell you, you and I have to fight against the evil in order to really see the life that God has placed within our hearts and live to the joy of that life. May God bless you as we kind of work our way through this. I'm, I don't know that I've worked through the book of Romans like this exactly in quite some time, and so uh, maybe it's good that this has been laid on my heart. We'll keep working on that. I have a bunch of other ideas of things I want to preach on, but right now this seems to be where I'm at. Pray the Lord will bless you uh, and those that might hear this as we continue to try to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless you as our prayer.